This is episode 112 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2005. This is session two. Paul continues to play. I want you to prayerfully have a seat and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Turn quickly in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Last night we kind of left with this looming dilemma. Who shall ascend the, the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in His holy place? And we saw only those with pure hearts and clean hands. And so we left last night with the big question. Because God is a holy creator and because we must worship him on his terms how are we going to get our hearts pure and our heart and our hands clean and so what I want to do in the first part of this morning as I share with you is I want to I want to take us a little deeper into our dilemma we're created to worship God Yet the wickedness of our hearts and the sin of our hands and the idols of our life demand that we not even approach Him. And so what I want us to do in Colossians this morning, I want us to begin to dig into our dilemma. It's really interesting what we're going to look at here. The answer to how we get our hearts pure and how we get our hands clean is one simple, majestic, profound answer, and that's through the blood of Jesus. But Paul is writing to believers who had already had their hearts purified, who had already had their hands cleansed, yet he wanted them to understand the depth of their depravity and the depth of our dilemma. And so that's what we're going to look at together. Paul, why don't you just sing that chorus over us one more time. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to love. Give us clean hands, oh God. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to love. Give us clean hands. Give us pure heart. Let us not lift our souls to love. Give us clean hands, oh God. Give us pure hearts. Let us not. Lift our souls to love. We so desire our worship to be more than a Smashing Pumpkins concert. We so desire to genuinely, in reality, connect with God. But who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Paul's writing to the Colossian church. We're going to pick up in verse 21. I want you to look at this with me. He's writing and he's explaining to them this dilemma, okay? Look at verse 21, chapter 1. And you, who were once alienated 
hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is intense. I want you this morning to feel the weight of our sin. I want you to feel the weight of the dilemma that we who were created to worship God have a huge barrier standing before us to even approach Him, to even come near to Him. It says we were alienated. Before Christ in our life, we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What does it mean to be alienated? Alienated speaks of our relationship with God. It means that no longer are we engaged in relationship with God, but we are separated from God. And then it says we are hostile in mind. And that speaks of our attitude, that our attitude is hostile toward God. And then we're engaged in evil deeds. Uh, it's really easy maybe for you to get it in this way. How many of you really like to play paintball? Now, I'm glad you like that, and you guys just need to know, you guys, as far as like adventure, sports, and recreation, you guys have us wiped off the map uh, over here on the West Coast. You guys have it going on. I mean, I like... I don't like getting around these big, uh, these big musky men who climb mountains out in the West Coast because I just feel like, like an East Coast little wimp, you know. But, but you guys have it going on, but I love paintball. I can play me some paintball. It doesn't take much to play paintball. And I don't know if you've ever played a really intense paintball game. There's two teams where you're like playing capture the flag paintball. Maybe you've played that. The goal is you're, you match up and you're on separate teams, okay? And what we're doing here is we're painting what does it mean to be alienated, to be hostile in mind, and to be engaged in evil deeds. I think this paintball game illustrates it example exactly. It doesn't matter at all if your best friend is spending the night with you that night. If he's on the other team, he has become for the next 30 minutes your enemy. Are you with me? It just absolutely does not matter. And so the goal is you're strapped on, you've got your mask on. We used to not play with masks. That was interesting. But you got your mask on and you're going, you want to get on their side and get the flag. Now, what I really love doing is I love getting over on the far end of the boundary and getting on my face and just slowly crawling. You ever do that? And you just crawl all the way over. You look, you're wearing black and green so they can't see you. You know, they think you're just grass blowing around. If you're really good. And so you get over there and it's like, boom, you, it's the flag. There it is. It's, it's just kind of singing to you. It's wide in the open. You don't see anybody around. You go and you grab the flag. You've got your gun. There it is. Boom. You're in enemy territory. You grab the flag. You turn around and there's like six guys. And they were guarding the base the whole time. Never encapture the flag. Never do they say, oh, you got the flag. Just go ahead and walk back. No way. No way. We don't even do that on the East Coast, all right? Here's the deal. If you're on the other team, okay, and I'm surrounding our flag here, and you get our flag, and I catch you, I am lighting you up with paint. I am turning you into a smurf immediately. It is not safe to be on the other side. Why? Because your relationship is different. You're against them. 
You're engaged. You are plotting in your mind everything that you can think of. You're plotting how do we take down the other team? What can we do? How can we come together? What plan can we come up with so that we take them down, so that we light them up, so we send them home with bruises? That's what it means to be alienated. It doesn't matter if they're your best friend. You're an enemy of theirs for the next 30 minutes. Are you with me? That's what it means to be alienated. Hostile in mind. You're not their friend. You don't get a free walk back. You get pellets in the stomach until I'm out of bullets, until you drop the flag and run. But Paul is writing and he says, you were alienated. Your relationship was separate. You were hostile in mind. You were plotting to take down God. And you were engaged in evil deeds. And some of you may not think, some of you may think about that and think, well, I was saved when I was like seven or eight. I mean, was I really plotting to take down God, you know? I mean, was I like really, you know, sitting in my room thinking, how am I going to take him off the throne? We wrestle with that. We struggle with understanding what does it mean that we were alienated, hostile in mind as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old. Some of you think, yeah, all I did was just ignored God. I was just uninterested in God. Listen, friends. Ignoring the one who is worthy of all of your attention is hostility toward him. Ignoring the one who is worthy of all of your adoration being uninterested in the most interesting being in all of the universe is evil and wicked. Just not caring, just not even realizing, just ignoring, just being uninterested in God at age six or at age 70 is wickedness and evil against God. That's what Paul's saying. And that's where we were. We're created to worship him, but we are his enemy. We're in a major dilemma. We're in an incredible dilemma. I want us to feel the depth of our dilemma. Romans 5 verse 10 says very specifically that you and I are the enemies of God before Christ. That we were his enemies. Maybe you don't get it yet. I want us to think with another picture. They're going to pull a picture up here that you guys saw flash in, uh, earlier. It's a picture of our president and Osama bin Laden. I want you to think about our president. I'm going to ask Paul to come up here and help me just for a second. I want you to think about our president coming over and just giving Osama bin Laden a big bear hug. I mean, some of you think that's funny, but most of you think that is absolutely disgusting. Most of you don't even want that thought to enter into your mind. Most of you are like, no, I will not imagine that. That is gross. I am not even going to think about that. I do not want to think about that image. I don't want to see our president embracing the one who is hostile in mind against him and his people. I do not want to see our president embracing the one who is engaged in evil deeds to take us down. 
I do not want to see that image. I cannot even imagine that image. That image is too difficult for me to get into my mind. But friends, listen, it should be more difficult for you and I to get into our minds this morning. The image of God embracing us, His enemies. Because He is infinitely holy. I want to share, I want, I want the image just to stay and Paul's going to come up here and I just want, I just want us to meditate upon what the Lord has done. One sin against an infinitely holy God is worthy of an infinite punishment in hell separated from God. Why? Because He is infinitely holy. We are alienated. Our relationship is an enemy to God. Our attitude is hostile against Him. Ignoring Him is hostility toward Him because He is worthy of everything. Let that land on you. And so when I lay this image before us to get into our minds, George Bush embracing Osama bin Laden, we don't want to get that into our minds, but it ought to be more difficult for us to see God embracing His He's holy. He is perfect in all of His majesty and to embrace one who is hostile in mind against Him. Friends, let it land on you. You are Osama bin Laden against a holy God. You are the one who is wicked against God. You are the one that cannot stand in the presence of God. You are Osama bin Laden before our holy God. Taste that this morning. Realize that this morning. But in this moment, as you are dealing with the dilemma that you are Osama bin Laden before our holy God, be rescued by God's embrace through Jesus. Because while we were yet sinners, He knew of our hostility. He knew that we would ignore Him. He knew that we would have idols. He knew that we would be uninterested. He knew of the depth of our sin. He knew every intimate sin before we ever committed it. He knew it all. And He sent His Son to die for us. He sent Jesus Christ to pay our penalty. And in Jesus, our holy God, has walked over to His enemies. And in Christ, through the blood and the crucifixion of His Son, He has hugged His enemies into the Father's heart. And He will not let go. Unworthy we are. He has come in Christ and embraced us. Verse 22, how has God done this? How does God embrace us? How does God allow us to approach Him? Verse 22, He says, He has now reconciled. That means He has changed this relationship. He has taken you and I who were His enemies and turned us into His children. He has taken you and I who were His enemies and said, You are now my friend. You are now my object of love. He has done that, Paul writes. He says, He has now reconciled. He has changed this relationship in His body of flesh, by His death. 
The death of the perfect Son of God. The crucifixion of the innocent God-man. And by that death and by that wicked crucifixion, God is willing to embrace sinners, His enemies, and call them His friends. Feel the depth of your depravity this morning and be rescued by this unbelievable love of God through the death of Jesus. God has demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. God has proven His love for us. You don't have to doubt this morning the love of God. You do not have to wonder if God loves you. He has proven it through the death of His Son. Jesus died in reality, in history, on a cross to prove that God loves sinners and to bring them into His embrace. Look at the rest of verse 22. This is beautiful. He's now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Pure heart, clean hands. God not only forgave our sin, God not only forgave our sin, but He has cast upon us the declaration of righteousness. What He has done is when Jesus was on the cross, God looked at your life and my life and He says, the punishment that you and I deserve, I set upon Jesus. And He looked at Jesus. And he said, the reward that you deserve for living a sinless, perfect life, I set upon my children. Us. Amazing. So not only if you're in Christ this morning, are your sins forgiven, washed whiter than snow. What in the world is whiter than snow? I don't know anything that's whiter than snow other than my sin. Snow is as white as it gets. And our sins this morning, if you're in Christ, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Him, if you have cast your life upon Him and hoped only in His blood to wash you clean, your sins are washed whiter than snow. Not only has He done that, but He has clothed us and He has rewarded us according to the life that Jesus lived. And He has declared us righteous because of what Jesus has done. Even though we were hostile and even though we were engaged in evil deeds, even though we were Osama bin Laden against our holy God. Susan, my wife, I guess like when you're newly married, you just use your wife in every sermon. When she was younger, she got punished for something her brother did. And I think she almost threw up. It was one of those deals where, like, I forget exactly what her brother did, but it was bad, like, to the degree of immediate spanking with something that hurt. And so her mom brings her in there, and I love her mom, and you're probably never going to meet her mom, so, you know, I can share this with you. But her mom brings her in, and she waylays into the rear end of Susan. All the while, she's crying, saying, I didn't do it. And she is almost throwing up. A little worse than Jones turkey dressing. You know, you know what I would have been doing if I was getting whipped for what, something my sister had done? I'd be spitting. I would be screaming. I would be kicking. I would be pulling hair because there is no way I'm getting whipped for something my sister d- did. You know what I'm talking about? 
And she knocks over the plant. She breaks the window. And so my mom brings me in and starts whipping on me for something she did. Not going to happen. I'm spitting. I'm screaming. I'm kicking. I'm pulling your hair out. It's not going to happen. But Jesus is perfect, innocent, sinless, worthy of no punishment. He joyfully stepped in. Joyfully stepped in. Gave his life to change our relationship with God, to friendship, to change our attitude toward God, to love, to change our idols into worship of him. You can't get your heart clean. You can't get your heart pure. You can't get your hands clean. But the blood of Jesus is like a fountain that can cleanse you of all of your sin this morning. If you don't know Jesus, run to him in this moment. Even as I'm speaking in your heart, run to him, cry out to him and say, I need you, Christ. And if that's you this morning, when we get done, go to your leader and say, I cried out to Jesus to wash me of my sins for the very first time. If you don't know for certain that your sins are forgiven, run to him. Run to Him. Look at Jesus hanging on the cross. Know He did it to forgive sinners and run to Him. Get washed in the fountain of His blood this morning. And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless. He not only says we're forgiven, he declares you are holy. So here's the beautiful part this morning. Who may who may stand in his holy place? All those who have been reconciled by the death of the Son of God. Who may draw near into intimate worship with the almighty holy creator? All those who have their sins forgiven and are declared righteous by Jesus, they can boldly enter, they can boldly come, they can worship with great joy in their hearts. Come, come and worship. Don't stand out there as a spectator. Draw near to the heart of God as we engage in Him. If you have your, if you're hidden in Christ, His love is unchanging, His love is rescuing, His love is establishing, and His love is securing. His love changes our identity. His love rescues us out of our hostility against God. His love is true. His love is pure. His love is for you this morning. Embrace the love of God. Be drawn into worship by the kindness of God lavished upon you through Jesus. Embrace, allow the love of God to wash over your heart in fullness this morning. If you get that, if you get the mercy of God's embrace, your worship will be rocking. If you don't get it this morning, your worship will be really small. But if you get that, if you feel the depth of your depravity and you have felt rescued in your heart by the love of God and in your mind you cannot, you cannot fathom what God has done through Christ's death for you, it will, it will rep- propel you into a life of worship. And here's the deal. Here's the bummer. 
we roll into winter youth and things like this and we get so stoked for the Lord and we get amped up and it's rocking and it's beautiful. I only use amped when I'm on the West Coast because I've heard it like three times. Nobody on the West Coast says amped, but I love that word. But when we come, we get pretty amped up. But when you go home, here, here's the deal. When we're here, we get pretty amped up. Our worship gets big. Ramey's leading us into the presence of God and our worship, our worship begins to inflate. About the second night, man, my worship's getting big. I've been awakened to the goodness of God. I'm, I'm rocking out in my worship. I'm drawn near to the Lord. I've kind of been ignoring Him through the Christmas season, been stuck on all my gifts and all that good stuff. But I'm drawn near to the Lord now. I, I'm, I'm at Winter Youth. I'm focused on Jesus. My worship, it's getting big. But some of you are going to get dumped next week. Some of you are going to get denied and rejected next week. Some of you are going to go through real difficult, terrible suffering. Home life is going to be bad. Some of you are going to get back to school and somebody's going to backbite you and things are going to be bad in your life and your worship is going to be deflated just like that. And we get stoked at winter youth and we, I mean, we are going for it. And by the end of the night, our worship's getting big. I mean, it's almost about to pop. But how is our worship going to last when things are going really, really crummy in our life? How is our worship going to be sustained? How are you going to continue to sing the praises of God when things are going terrible in your life? When are youth? Fail class. Somebody so lets you down. The worst possible day you could have, the worst possible week, the worst possible year that you could have, it comes storming into your life. Your worship at winter youth, when you leave, but things start not going your way, what do you do? You just whine. No worship coming from you, just... That's what you sound like. Your worship turns into this. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? Imagine how God feels. (laughs) What's going to tie the balloon? Paul and Silas, in the book of Acts, these dudes are serving the Lord. These guys are going for it. They're worshiping the Lord, they're serving the Lord, they're preaching the gospel, and they get thrown in jail for crying out loud. They're going hard for the Lord. They're laying on the line for the Lord. They're serving Him, they're giving their life to Him. But then they get trapped in jail. At midnight, you know the story. They're singing praises to God. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of things going not their way, they're praising God. 
in the midst of the plan that they would have orchestrated not happening, but the plan that they would not have orchestrated happening. In the midst of that, they're singing praises to God and people are fearing the Lord. People are listening in. People are drawing in. What is going on there? How does that happen in my life and in your life? What's going to tie the balloon and sustain our worship in the midst of suffering? It's getting the gospel. It's just getting the mercy of God. I'm not real good at tying balloons. I'm real bad at it. You might need some help. But we're not real good at getting the gospel. We need help. Can somebody help me? Anybody good at tying balloons? Somebody, seriously. Hang on, I got it. Two fingers. That's how slow we are. We've had the gospel preached to us all of our lives. But our understanding of it, our embracing of it, our tasting of our depravity and sin, our tasting of the mercy of God is so small. And so when suffering comes into our life, our worship's deflated. What's going to keep the balloon tied? Getting the gospel. If you get it, if you get that God has rescued you through the death of Jesus out of your Osama bin Laden heart against him, you're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord even when your life is crumbling. Your praises and your heart filled with adoration for God, not because of the circumstances of your life, but because of who he is and what he has done through his son Jesus for you. Romans 12, we're just going to stop there and turn there. I want you to turn there with me in your Bible. Maybe this is sitting on you and maybe you're thinking... Boy, this just really ends the whole worship music debate, doesn't it? It really does. If you get the gospel, music is a non-issue. Paul and Silas were singing and no instruments were being played. They weren't whining about it wasn't their style or it wasn't their type or they weren't playing it just right or it was coming off a little too loud or it was a little too quiet or they didn't have the right words up on the screen or something happened or the dude's string broke. No, they were singing because they were overwhelmed with the gospel, the saving life of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, living inside of them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it totally washes the whole Music debate out of the water. If you get the gospel, you can worship God in any setting at any time because you just lift up your heart in the truth that you know at what Jesus has done and who he is. So just forget the whole music stuff. It's such an immature debate. If you continue to engage in it and whine about it, you will remain an immature worshiper. So rise up out of it and see the gospel and see Jesus on the cross for your sins and let nothing stop you in any corporate setting of worship and singing and prayers to the Lord. Let nothing stand in your way of taking your heart to the throne of grace. If you get the gospel this morning, if you taste the depravity and the rescuing love of God, the music issue will just sink into the background. David danced before the Lord. Did he have the rainy band playing? No. One trumpet. One stinking trumpet for crying out loud. Are you going to dance to a trumpet? If you're overwhelmed by the mercy of God, you will. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we get the gospel, worship immediately becomes so much more than a song. Worship becomes us living an engaged life with God before him. We live out our life as a song to God. We live out our life as an aroma to God. We live out our life in joyful adoration to the Lord, engaged with Him in intimacy. If we get the gospel. When I say get it, do I mean like you get it and you walk away from here and there's no more to learn? No. I just mean if it falls so heavy and so richly and so deeply in your heart that God transforms you in such a way that you become a permanent, unstoppable worshiper of Jesus, that's what I'm talking about, getting the gospel. Paul's going to come up and lead us in some songs. As we respond and sing about the amazing blood of Jesus that has rescued us out of our hostility toward God, I want to give you a couple of different ways to respond as you sit there. So draw in with me here just for a second. There's a handful of you in the building right now. You've never repented of your life of sin and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never realized how bad, what an offense your sin was before God and how His rescuing love can bring you up out of that. But today for the first time you realize that. This is what I want you to do. When we're done in this session, I want you to go straight to one of your youth leaders and tell them, I believe Christ died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe his life is mine. You do that. Others of you just want to kneel before your Lord with a heart of joy and reverence and say, oh Lord, I've been overwhelmed by your goodness and your love and your gospel like never before. Thank you. Yes, yes. Some of you will just want to respond in prayer saying, Lord, my worship is often just like a fading little balloon. Lord, would you begin to tie the knot in my life so that my worship is sustained through suffering, so that my worship begins to be lived out as a life, not just song sung, but that my worship is propelled as life. Others of you will just want to dance because of the mercy of God. But let us respond. Let us respond with great joy. Let us respond with everything that we are. Let us come before Him. Let us come celebrating what He has done and who He is. Let's pray together. Holy Father, You are amazing. Your love, oh God, just consumes us, oh Lord. Father, you have rescued us. You have freed us in your love, and I thank you for that. Father, help my friends in this place get a glimpse of the greatness of your gospel and the greatness of who you are. Father, Holy Spirit, we pray you would assist us. Allow Jesus to emerge as supreme in our midst. Be exalted, O Jesus Christ, we pray. Be exalted in our hearts. Be exalted in this room. You truly are worthy of worship. Thank you for joyfully taking the cross, Jesus. 
Thank you, though you were innocent, you bled and died so that we may be declared innocent. Thank you for satisfying the wrath of God. Thank you for presenting us holy and blameless before God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We celebrate what you have done on the cross. You are our life, Lord Jesus. Our only hope of being a worshiper is your blood, Lord Jesus. But oh, what a hope it is. And so we celebrate. We celebrate you for your sake, for your glory. We celebrate. Mighty God, Heavenly Father, we celebrate.